to introduce the next part of our worship service. We are so thankful at Easter, not because we have a holiday or that for some of us, we just got off spring break, but we celebrate that we have been given new life. And so what we want to do next is give us an opportunity, not just to sing, not just to worship, but to remember what Jesus has done for us. One of the things that we do throughout the years, throughout the ages, since Jesus first instituted this with his disciples was to take communion together. Now, the reason that communion got started, if you're not aware of kind of the history of it, it actually began in the days of Moses when they were delivered from Egypt. So all of that time of the Ten Commandments and all the ways that God was working in the Hebrew people as they had been able to leave Egypt, God said, I want you to remember this gift I'm giving you, this gift of freedom, and I'm making a covenant with you. I'm making a covenant that I am here with you, and I want you to remember the ways that I have rescued you from your captors. And so from that point forward, they began what was called the Passover meal. And in the Passover meal, they would remember that God had delivered them from their captors. Now, fast forward to the time of Jesus teaching his disciples what life would be like when he was gone. And he said, I want you to continue in this thing that we've been doing because it is a reminder that you have been liberated. You have been set free. You have been given another chance. But I want you to begin to understand your liberation in different terms in a new covenant. And so as he sat with his disciples, this is, this is what he said. They were eating this Passover meal, which was a huge meal. This is just a portion of it. There was this huge ceremonial meal they would go through. And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread. This was customary for the Passover. And after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. And in that phrase, he began to show them what was about to happen. What you and I celebrate today had to begin at some point. And as we remember Easter, let us remember that day, those events, those times leading up to the resurrection, not just what we have now, because it is that gift that has given us all that we have now. He took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. This is this new covenant, this new promise that he was committing to them. It's poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And so this morning, as we celebrate Easter and as we worship and as we remember all the wonderful things God has done in our lives and in our hearts and he's doing in our, the midst of our community, we have to remember that it all began with Jesus giving his life for us. And so as we take the bread and as we take the, the juice, we remember that it's his body that's been broken. Now, I want to give you a few uh, instructions on what we're going to do this morning. We've got a lot of people here. We've got a little bit of aisle room, but not a lot. We want to do communion a little differently this morning. We're going to have three leaders stationed here at this table and in the table behind the sound booth. You'll find Scott is standing back here behind the sound booth. Stacy, who leads our discipleship at Journey, is going to be up front with me. And we would like for you to come down the center aisle. We're going to break off a piece of bread. This symbolizes the breaking of Jesus' body for us. And we're going to hand that to you. And then you're going to continue in what is traditional from that point on, to dip it into the juice and to eat it. 
and then you can head back to your seat. And if you would go around the side, here's what I know. We just came off a busy spring break. I got a lot of things going on in my mind. I got a lot of things I got to do next week, right? There's a lot of things that can take our attention in this moment. But what I want to encourage you is to take the time to let all that go. It'll be waiting for you when you leave. But right now is a time to remember and to be thankful for what Jesus has done. So in these next two songs, we're going to invite you to come. And if you can't make it in those two songs, just continue to come as long as it takes. All right, let's pray together. Father, God, your gift is amazing. It is eternal. It is something that we cannot truly fathom or grasp. God, I thank you that we have an opportunity in this place to serve, to fellowship, to love, to worship. So God, as we take these moments to sing praises to you, we also are reminded by your great gift, the gift of your son for us. And while this is one day of the year, let this infect the way we live every single day. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me just start this morning just saying thank you to a few people. And uh, we've had kind of a busy week and weekend here at Journey. Uh, We had a great egg hunt yesterday. I just want to thank you to all our volunteers, to Pam and Marie for working so hard to pull that together. Uh, I want to be sure that uh, we we recognize those that give of themselves willingly for the benefit of others. It's It's such a great thing to experience in your life. And we're so thankful for them and for all they've done. You'll notice a few new things around. You'll notice a new stage. We had a bunch of folks over the last couple of weeks kind of working on this, fixing some light issues. We really appreciate all of your time and effort. Some new couches out there were donated uh, just because we had worn out the old ones or the old ones, they get a lot of use during the week. Uh, So we've just had a lot of ways that people are giving. Uh, And I also don't want us to forget another way uh, of people that are giving this morning. And those are all of our child uh, care workers, those who are investing in your children right now on Easter Sunday. They would love to be in here. But they are there uh, investing and loving on your kids. So what I'd ask you to do is when you go pick up your kids, uh, just be sure and thank them. Just tell them you, you appreciate that because they, they're always giving. Everyone who serves is giving, but especially on this day. And so we want to make sure that we let them know that we are thankful for them. We're starting a new series today called Undignified. Now, some of you are going to totally get this and you're going to love it because this is where you live life, right? This is just kind of where you are. And so we're going to be talking over the next few weeks about what does it look like to follow Jesus. And a lot of times it's pretty undignified. And if if we're going to know him and we're going to follow him, if we're going to sing songs about him and we're going to be moved emotionally by the thought of his love for us, it's going to move us in some ways that make us look kind kind of strange to those people around us. But for a lot of us, it feels very uncomfortable to not fit into a mold, doesn't it? It feels very uncomfortable when we feel like we're supposed to fill a role and yet something in us, just it just doesn't fit, right? There are many places that you've got to do this in life and there are many places that the expectations that are, that, that are given to you are things that you may be able to swing. You may be able to make work, but at the end of the day, you're incredibly uncomfortable. Is there anybody in the room that feels like that you don't fit into the mold that others want you to fit into. Anybody? What are some ways, some feedback here, what are some ways in which we're expected to fit in 
to someone else's mold. Just throw them up. How we dress. What else? In the blue, in the, he's right, it's right, in the pimp hat back there. He's worried about how people think about how he dresses. Hey, listen, we got to, he, he's, he, never mind. I'm not going to tell you there. But uh, <laughs> what else? What are some other ways we're supposed to fit in? Sense of humor? Be quiet. We, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you something about sense of, sense of humor. Now, Deidre, is she in the room? Um, I think she is. Deidre has two jokes. So she doesn't fit into the world's idea of humor either. I'm going to tell you right now. No, I'm joking. Her, she's, her jokes are good. If you haven't heard them yet, if you've known her more for very long, you've already heard them. But if you haven't yet, go see her. She's got two, two jokes that she can tell. <laughs> All right. Anything else? What are some other molds we have to fit in? Our religion? Yeah. What we believe? Yeah. There, there's a lot of people who are very willing to get in your face and tell you how you're supposed to be, right? Now, the last few weeks, we've been spending quite a bit of time talking about what does it look like to be our brother's keeper. And we live in a world that expects that means that we have to judge others and be judgmental of others. And yet we, what we read through scripture is, well, there's a way that we gently restore and help each other. But it's not about being judgmental, right? But yet we are in a world that even those who proclaim not to be of any religious affiliation judge and put us into this idea that we are supposed to be some kind of fit in a mold. And and a lot of times it just doesn't work. And the truth is, the more we try to fit into a mold that's uncomfortable, the more unhappy we'll become and the less of the resurrection we'll experience. See, on this Resurrection Sunday, this is an opportunity for us to remember what Jesus has done. But it's not just about what has happened. It's what is continuing to happen and what will continue to happen into the days, weeks, years ahead. And so as we celebrate Jesus, we can celebrate that while the world has an idea of what we should look like, we have the opportunity to be free in who Jesus says we really are. So if we're going to do a series called Undignified, I looked at the definition of dignity. You know, I don't, that's not a word I use very often, but I grew up with it. Anybody else? It's not something you hear out there very often. This is the definition of dignity, the state of quality of being worthy of honor or respect. That means that if you're dignified, and I've got to be honest, I don't have a good preacher voice for this series. I need to, there's to be fides in this. I need to, I need to hack it up a little bit. I'm not real good at that. So you'll just have to pretend. But if we were dignified, then we would be worthy of honor and respect. And who wouldn't want that, right? I want to be worthy of honor and respect. I want you to honor me, respect me. I want you to look up to me. I want you to think, man, Mark has got it together. That's what I want. But the problem with that is, is I know who Mark is, right? And some of you do too. And so when I begin to put the word and label of dignity on myself, I think, am I worthy of honor and respect? And the answer is, well, no, not really. You would disagree? Okay. You need, you need to hang out with me a little more, Don. <laughs> and so the idea of dignity is the world's idea that you are worthy to be celebrated. People should look up to you. When I grew up, there was a, a, a very real push that you grew up to be dignified people. That's kind of one of the reasons that the church began saying, you know, you need to wear your Sunday best. You need to be dignified. Be worthy of honor and respect. And it kind of became something else over the years. 
But the, the truth is, if we're going to experience the resurrection, we cannot experience it by ourselves being dignified. Because we're not worthy of honor and respect. We can be worthy amongst each other. But when we begin to understand how the rest of the world works, how God has placed everything where it should be, how Jesus is the creator of all things, we draw our breath because of him. Then dignity and the standard goes way up there. And that's for a standard I'm not comfortable labeling myself. So what is worthy of honor and worthy of respect? In the early years, I think we really try to do this. And the way we try to do this when we're young is we really try to fit in. You know, being worthy of honor and respect, you know, I really don't want to be celebrated. I just don't want to be, you know, put down, right? When you're growing up, when you're kind of finding your way through school and you're trying to figure out how social things work, you're, you just really don't want to be on the receiving end of bad stuff. You don't really have to be the best. You just don't want to be the one getting, you know, pushed down. We get, start a job, we go in, and I, I know the older I get, the less I know. I mean, maybe a physical thing happening with me, but I believe it's also the older you get, the more you realize there's more out there that you have no idea about. But yet when you're young, what your goal is is to let everybody know, I know everything, got all the answers, and I've got this thing figured out. And what everyone else knows is, no, you don't. Well, we kind of, you know, let us live in that illusion. So when we're young, we really try to kind of be dignified. Then as you get older in life, we begin to talk about living your life in your senior years with dignity, right? You know what that means? That means that you look like everything's okay when everything's not. That when someone looks at you, they're not looking at all the problems you're facing and that your health may be failing. You just look like everything's okay. Everything's good because that's the way the world works. We want everything to stay status quo. Everybody to be good. So let's pretend even if it's not because it lets the rest of us go about our lives without worrying about you. And so dignity takes on all kinds of weird meanings in the way that we use them in our vocabulary and in our lives and in the different stages that we are developing. Now, here's the truth that I want you to understand for this entire series, and it is that you will struggle to demonstrate dignity while you're living as your true self. Now, here, here's just a tangent. Some of you are thinking true self. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that really mean? Your true self is who you are when no one else is watching. Your true self is the person that you desire to be, not the person that you feel you have to be for someone else. Your true self, that's where all the wonderful things in life reside, being your true self. Sometimes we use the word authentic. Authentic is a word we use a lot around here. We want you to be authentic. If you're, mess, if you're struggling and you're messed up, we want you to say, I'm struggling and I'm messed up because there's no help for those that put the stone face on and say everything's just fine when it's not. Authenticity is of high value in life, but you live in many places of the world, both at work and at home, in your neighborhoods with family, some of you, in which you can't be authentic. You have to be on or you have to fit a mold and you can't be true to who you really are. And the truth is, if we intend to live a life of dignity, 
then you're going to have to put a false face on and you'll never be your true authentic self. That's the problem with being a follower of Jesus. When we try to live with dignity, things begin to fall apart. But there's something in us that says that's the way life is supposed to be, right? That's the way way I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to have it all together. As we come together for the resurrection, I want you to know that the resurrection is about being true to who you really are. Now, I'd like to say that here at Journey, no matter what's going on in your life, you know, we're going to accept you just exactly how you truly are. The problem is, is that we're, you know, humans, right? We struggle with this and, and there's really only one person can pull that off and that's Jesus. But we can endeavor to follow his example. And the opportunity to begin to understand who we truly are is the opportunity to understand that the resurrection leads us to something better than being honored or celebrated. Over these last few minutes, we've been singing some great songs. And uh, we're just so so thankful to all of our, our musicians and our worship leaders. And we, if you didn't recognize, we have a... a, a, a well, he's been here before. Nate is, is on drums today. You all appreciate Nate being here. We're glad to have him. Nate just looks cool. He just makes me feel uncool just looking at him. You know what I'm saying? Man, he was wearing it out. And, you know, singing those songs, wouldn't it be great if all week long you kind of had that feeling? Wouldn't that be awesome? Like you go in for your review and you know they're getting ready to tear you up and you like go in with that feeling. Wouldn't it be great? Like, hey, yeah, okay. Man, you did a terrible job this year. Oh, yeah, all right, yeah, all right. You know, it, wouldn't that be great? That, that, because whenever we're in, in moments of worship, the thing that happens then is that we begin to feel whole and full and like this is what we were made for. But then we go out of here and we get in our cars and they won't start or we got to go get gas and it's starting to go up. I hope it's not going up. But, you know, we go and then we got stuff we got to do and, I, you know, we've got voicemails we've got to return or whatever. And all of a sudden, that feeling of wholeness that we're here with Jesus begins to just dissipate. And we're like, wait, okay, man, I hope we can do that again next Sunday. But that was never Jesus' intention. The resurrection wasn't a Sunday-only event. And so what would it be like if you got to experience that wholeness and fullness seven days a week? That'd be awesome. We're going to live with dignity. That won't happen. Because every person who followed Jesus that we read about in Scripture, they had to sacrifice their dignity to follow the one who was worthy to be honored. But it doesn't feel good, does it? It doesn't feel good not to be dignified. It feels good for somebody to look at you and go, man, Mark has it together. That feels good. Man, Mark's family, man, they just, it's just like they're the perfect family, said no one ever. But... (laughs) It would feel good if someone did say that, right? That would feel good. And so what I'm going to encourage you to do, and I'm going to encourage you to take dignity and sacrifice it at the altar of who Jesus really is. Because he is worthy of so much more. Who you really are, this is where joy lives. The true self, the authentic self, this is where peace lies. 
the true who you really are before Christ, that is the source of true dream. One of the things that I, I find in the busyness of life that I miss the most is the ability to dream. I find that's often where God resides with me. Whenever I'm just going through all the things I've got to do, what I find is, is that God is operating in a level that I'm just not living in. Because being your authentic self is where you truly dream. That's where God is. It's that place where you elevate the idea of what life can be. And you begin to see things with a fresh lens, a fresh filter. And you begin to see God at work and you begin to say, you know what? This is weird, but it's great. It's the place where you begin to believe what could be, what should be, what will be if I'll commit my life to it. That's where your true self lives. Not the person trying to fit in somebody else's mold. It's where we find why we exist. It's where we find the purpose for which we are alive. This is your true self. And while this may be one of the hardest places to come, your true self is a person that becomes unencumbered by the expectation of others. But I will tell you, that takes a lot of prayer <laughs> to get there. As we look at Jesus and we look at the events that surrounded the resurrection, Jesus himself was not a man of dignity. He was a man who was undignified. This is where my preacher voice needs to come in. I don't have it. He was undignified. There we go. There we go. I didn't even practice that. <laughs> I, was a, I was a first timer right there. All right. Matthew 26 says this. This is Jesus, okay? You know, flowing hair, blue eyes, you know, fair skin, Jesus. This is the idea of all, what all of the images that we have of him uh, miss. <laughs> this is Jesus of the garden. Now ask yourself, is this someone that we would celebrate? Jesus went into a place called Gethsemane. He said to the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Hmm. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Now, there's problem number one. Leaders are supposed to act like they have it all together. And Jesus is saying, guys, I, I mean, I, I'm about to die here. I, I, I can't handle this. this I, I'm about to be overwhelmed with this. You guys got to help me. Those aren't the words of a dignified person. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So here's another thing that a leader never does. A leader never says, okay, I know this is the plan. How about, it? Let's, let's come up with another plan. Leaders don't do that. But Jesus does. He demonstrates a humanity that we never attribute to him. And the reason that I love these passages of verse, this section of verses that I like to use is because it reminds us that Jesus was not this stoic person who just floated over the surface of the earth and everything just worked out with bluebirds flying around his shoulders. I mean, he struggled, he suffered. 
These are not actions of a dignified person. So if some of you are sitting here this morning thinking, I've never been accused of having any dignity at all, you are in good company. Because Jesus was not one that would be honored or celebrated. What we also find is that Jesus still didn't stop. So one of the things that makes Easter so meaningful to me is to know that Jesus went in with great anguish, but he went in for me. And he didn't stop. If I was put through that, would I stop? <laughs> A hard question to ask or to answer. But he didn't stop. Jesus was sweating. He was sorrowful. And he was hopeful for a way out. But what makes Jesus so incredibly precious to us is that Jesus was obedient. So obedience is not a good word, right? Don't use it in our wedding ceremonies. We don't like to use it in, you know, employee, employer relationships. Use it in the wrong context, you can be, you can be accused of, of some kind of hate speech. Obedience is not a good word in our language. In fact, if we could get rid of that word, then we would. The only people who like that word are the people that are trying to inflict it on somebody else, right? So we don't like the word obedient. It has all these negative connotations. It means it infringes on your personal freedoms. And yet Jesus never had a personal freedom. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Never do you see Jesus and God having a conversation and God says, you know, Jesus, what do you, what do you want to do, man? Go ahead. Go for it. Never does that happen. But often we see Jesus saying, it's not my will, it's yours. Be done. Now, I get that we have these theological loopholes because, you know, Jesus was technically part of the Trinity. God's technically part of the Trinity. So Jesus is really calling the shots still. I mean, I get that we can theologically bind ourselves up and convince ourselves that Jesus wasn't really having to be obedient, except he was. And we maybe can't fully understand the Trinity and all of its infiniteness, but we can understand that Jesus was sweating drops of blood in anxiety, and yet he went ahead because he knew that's what the Father wanted. Jesus was obedient. That's not dignified. It's undignified. He was undignified because he always lived as his true, authentic self. Jesus was never somebody else. No one could ever put him in the mold. And he was so good when somebody tried to put him in the mold to just flip their arguments around on them so he could be who he really was. And as he encountered other people, he consistently would encourage them, be who you're supposed to be. Be who you're, you were created to be. Don't be something else. And I want you to know over these next few weeks, we're going to be talking about two authentic selves. You, you have two authentic selves. The first one is this, who you truly are. That's who you are right now. It doesn't matter who you try to be, who you portray yourself as, who you tell somebody else that you really are. There, that's one of your authentic selves. The other authentic self is who Jesus died for you to truly become. You see, we often stop with this, it's who I am. I mean, this is just who I am. Jesus never was content with us staying where we are. He always wanted us to go to where he 
meant for us to be. So there's really two authentic selves. There's who you really are. And there's that authentic pursuit of who you're going to become. And so when you have those in alignment, you begin to find that there's peace and there's joy and there's hope and there's love and there's just a great life to live. Who you truly are in his eyes, as a reminder, some of you have come from different backgrounds. You've come from different kind of religious persuasions. We were joking yesterday that, you know, the amount of, of uh, work that you did was penance for your sins. And we were joking about just an old religious system that said, you know what, if you give enough money or you pray enough prayers, then, you know, you're okay for a little while until it's time to pay up again. And some of you come from that background. So who are you? Are you a person that's constantly in debt? Are you a person that's constantly needing to be hammered with judgment? Who you truly are is loved. That's who you truly are. You were loved. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you're doing right now in this moment, or what you plan to do in the next moment. You are truly loved. That's, that's who you are. You're truly loved. You're also truly valuable. Now, the problem for many of us is we have a tendency to place value on ourselves through the eyes of others. So if we don't have others showing us that we have value, we begin to doubt that it's true in our own lives. But it doesn't really matter with God. You are valuable. He gave you his son. You are valuable. The truth is you have unlimited potential. So we talked about last week, one of the, the big lies is that if I have messed up in my life, that I have lost my opportunity to be the person God wants me to be. But that is not true. In fact, you are one of the greatest people that can help others get through their hardships because you've been through it. You have unlimited potential because the spirit lives in those that follow Jesus and the spirit is unlimited but who you truly are also is sinful, broken, and prone to mess up every single part of your life. <laughs> and there you go. It's closing song. <laughs> you know? That is who we are as well. But that's not only who we are. We are still loved. We are still valuable. We still have unlimited potential. But we're sinful and we're broken. Accepting yourself, who you're going to be in your authentic self, is accepting that I am sinful and broken. That's, that's where repentance comes into place. When we ignore the fact that we're sinful and broken, we have this false sense of dignity in our lives and we'll never live our true selves and we'll never experience any of those things. Fullness, wholeness, peace, joy. We'll not experience those things. Because we're too busy formulating an idea of what's true, but it's not true. Romans 3.23, a lot of us know this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All is pretty inclusive. The truth is we are all in the same boat. We are loved, but we are broken. All in the same boat. Jesus was indignified as he prepared for the resurrection. And I want you to know that we have to be indignified if we're going to take part in the resurrection. We have to be indignified. The standard is too high. When we place ourselves falsely at the standard of Jesus, 
then we will never experience a resurrection as it was intended to be experienced. Luke 9 says this. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. I mean, that is not dignified language. Worthy of honor and respect. I got to take my cross up daily. I got to die to myself. That's not dignified. See, if we're going to take part in the resurrection, we have to agree and understand that he is the one who is worthy of honor and respect. The cross is something we celebrate, but it is a stumbling block for many. There are many people that cannot get past the cross. They cannot get past the idea that Jesus was on the cross or that they have to carry their own. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to, who, uh, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. In other words, these, I, this false idea of dignity, I'll destroy it. Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. It's undignified. I want you to know that the cross is the doorway to becoming your true self. Some of you, you want all those things. You want those things that, that are, are evident in the true self. That, that is where you want to live. And I want you to know that the doorway is the cross. The resurrection is about being true to who you really are. Loved, valuable, sinful, and broken. When we embrace these things, we find new freedom in life that we'll never find apart from him. And that something in us tells us those are things we shouldn't embrace. What Jesus also tells us is that if we do this, if we experience this true authentic self of who we truly are and who he truly wants us to become, it is the opportunity for rest. For true rest. If you've ever been truly exhausted, you know the value of true rest. And when, begin you, when you begin to experience God in all facets of your life, you begin to see the need for more and more rest in the things that plague us. Jesus says, I've, I've got you covered. I've got it here. Matthew 11 says, at the time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children, the undignified ones. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, at some level, we have to begin to understand that we have soul needs. That when we ignore them, no matter how we try to fix any other part of our life, if our soul's not at rest, none of us, none of the rest of us will be at rest either. We have deep soul needs. We have deep soul needs for acceptance, deep 
soul needs to be loved and to love others. We have deep soul needs to be forgiven. We have deep soul needs to understand where we fit into this whole puzzle. We have deep soul needs that God wants us to find the answers to. But so many times we're the problem getting in the way of finding those answers. The cross is the open doorway to becoming your true self in Christ. And here, here's the hard part for some of you. It's the hard part for me. It's that no one can walk through with their dignity intact. Can't do it. You cannot walk through the doorway with your dignity intact because your dignity means that I have reached a level of honor and respect on my own. And the gospel says that's not possible. It's not possible. Mark 1.14 says, after John was arrested, this is where Jesus is beginning his ministry. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's why repentance is so crucial because it allows us to lay our dignity at the doorstop and we can walk into a doorway that leads to something better. It's not about me. It's not about what I can be or what I've done or how good I good I am. None of those things. I want you to remember, you have two authentic selves. We're going to be looking at these for the next few weeks. One, who you truly are. Who are you right now? Not who you pretend to be. Not who you are on Facebook. Not who you are around people when you know they're watching. Who are you truly right now? Even if that's where you live for a while, even if you say, I don't really care what Jesus wants me to become. I just, if you'll just live in who you truly are, I'm going to tell you that is the baseline by which you can make any progress in life. Stop playing games with ourselves. Stop playing games with others. Some of us really, we struggle. We don't have true authentic relationships with other people. But the truth is, none of the people around us who know who we really are. Because we've created a facade so we'll be accepted. I know it's tough, but I want you to know that there is real hope in life and that person of who you truly are. But the second is so much greater, and this is where things take off. And that is your authentic self, who Christ died for you to truly become. See, that's where the great stuff is. And you'll never get there on your own. You've got to walk through repentance. You've got to walk through the doorway of the cross. And as we lay our dignity on the ground, we walk through as an undignified people. We can experience hope and restoration. Only the undignified can approach the cross. Only the undignified. So here's what I'm going to ask you to commit over these, not just these next few weeks, but, but really a, a, as a lifetime. Here, here's what I hope you will commit to. I'm not suggesting that you'll do it perfectly or that I'll do it perfectly or that some days I'll do a better job and other days I'll just completely not follow through this commitment at all. And this is it. That I will be undignant, un, excuse me, undignified before Jesus so I can become who I was always meant to be. That's who we want you to, that's what we want you to commit to. We, we don't want to lay out a personality profile and say, we need you to fit this. We don't want to lay out a behavioral profile and say, these five behaviors and you're good to go. We don't want to do that. I mean, that's not the way it works. 
But what we know is when you commit to a pursuit of becoming the person that Jesus wanted you to be, then you are committing to a pursuit that leads to love, to joy, to peace, to hope. And while, yes, we are still sinful and broken, it leads to redemption and forgiveness. I'm still sinful. Hang around me for a while. You'll figure it out. I'm still sinful. But thankfully, I'm forgiven. And I know that's kind of an old cliche that maybe needs to go away. But it's still true. And I want you to know that wherever you are in life, you can be who you truly are. And he's got something even better planned if you'll pursue where he wants you to go. No matter where you are right now, no matter what your fear is about how you'll be accepted or rejected or whatever, I want you to know it, it, the truths are still there. You, yeah, you're sinful and broken. But let's lead with you're loved. And you're valued. And you have unlimited potential. And so if I have to be undignified to experience that, I'm, I'm willing to do it. And I hope you will be too. So this morning, I, for some of you, we're so glad to have you. And I hope you'll come back uh, and be with us. The, the value of a faith community is not in the worship services. The value is in the relationships that you have every day. And so we hope that you'll come and, and you'll get to know some of us. And for some of you, you've been here for a while. I mean, I, I hope that you'll engage with each other and you'll begin to reach out and realize that I, I, we know that a lot of people come, come to church to kind of get things together. But I want you to know part of getting things together is not just focusing on what's going on in you, but it's investing in others and loving others too. And there's just something beautiful when we begin to embrace the relationship that Jesus demonstrated for us. So we hope that you'll follow us through this series. But, but there's some of you that you're really struggling with this idea, this whole concept. Really struggling with what does it look like to be valuable? What does it look like to be accepted to be my true self? It's going to ask you to trust me. Begin to take those steps. And we'll take them with you. Pray with me. Father, God, I thank you that we can celebrate the resurrection. I thank you for the gift of your son, the gift of forgiveness, for your love, even when we have been unlovable, that you have valued us even when we had nothing to offer. God, I pray that we would be a people that would embrace the life that you meant for us. And that we can truly be who we are, but we'll truly become who you want us to be. God, I thank you for all those that are in this room that are on the journey just like I am. Father, lead us to greater opportunities to know you, to walk with you, to understand your purpose in our lives. God, lead us to take the steps. Though others may look and scoff at us that say... I'm experiencing what life was really meant to be. God, I thank you that you are worthy of honor and respect. You are worthy of worship and praise. You are worthy of investing our lives in. You are worthy of picking up our cross every single day, dying to ourselves, following you. We thank you that you are a God of love and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.